0: Hey, everybody, it's Carrie Champion, and this is The Brown Print, a podcast that offers solutions and guidance for the marginalized and those who feel left out. These discussions will act as a guide to mentor those in need of direction and also to inspire those who feel hopeless. We will move the needle forward and speak out on the issues by way of dialogue and telling stories of those who need to be heard.
1: Mr. President, since Central Park 5, they've been exonerated, there have been videos and movies shown about the case, and you came out with a full-page ad saying that they should die, they they that they said it
0: definitely.
1: Why do you bring that question up now? It's an interesting time to bring it up. Uh, you have people on both sides of that. They admitted their guilt. If you look at Linda Fairstein and if you look at some of the prosecutors, uh, they think that the city should never have settled that case. So we'll leave it at that.
0: Dr. Yusuf Salam is truly an incredible human being. I mean, better than anyone I'd know. Better than myself for that matter. I'll explain that later. Today, he is an accomplished speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and a prison reform advocate. 21 years ago, at the age of 15, he was one of the Central Park Five that was tried and wrongly convicted in the Central Park Jogger case. Well, after six years behind bars for a crime he did not commit, Dr. Yusuf's sentence was overturned, and he says that began a new life for him. The Central Park Five is now known as the Exonerated Five, and they've been profiled in numerous stories and films and documentaries. And Dr. Yusuf Salam has become a family man, a father, a poet, an activist. An inspirational speaker. He continues to utilize this platform to share his story with others and educate the public about the impact of mass incarceration and police brutality rooted in our justice system, a failed system that failed him. But he says, when it's all said and done, he considers it a love story. Imagine that. Wrongfully convicted at the age of 15, six years in prison, and you consider what happened to you a love story. Sit back and relax and listen to Dr. Yusuf Salam. And his inspiring story on The Brown Print. Thank you so much for being on The Brown Print. So first off, Dr. Yusuf, I'd like to just simply ask you, how are you doing?
1: I'm actually doing pretty good.
0: All things considered. All things considered. We're in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, the world seems to have some fresh new hell waiting for us every other day. Uh, crazy election. How have you been able to manage uh, and maintain your family and your mental health?
1: I would always say one foot in front of the other. I'm a highly spiritual person. So, you know, the types of things that I think about and operate through on a daily basis is a little bit different. You know, um, they always say, you know, you can get through anything when you can pray.
0: (laughs) Amen to that. Amen to that. Okay. Yes,
1: indeed. And, you know, from from uh, as a young child, I learned that when you pray, it's like when you're talking to God. And then, of course, as you move throughout your day and you try to reorient your life and think about things in a more positive way, um, that can be considered also like active meditation. So when you meditate, they say that that's when God is talking back to you and revealing the things that you need to know in order to have the most, uh, life out of your life.
0: The most life out of your life. And I think that obviously takes me to where I want to go, your life, the beginning of your story, if you will, Uh, can you describe the atmosphere in New York City when you were growing up? What do you remember about the mid 80s?
1: Well, I didn't know that there was an active war that was being perpetuated against the Black and brown community. And for us, you know, as, as I think back at those times, I think about, you know, the types of things that we would see in the community. Say, for instance, uh, crack valves that look like Skittle tops um, because of the different colors. You know, us uh, flipping on dirty mattresses in, in, um, in the abandoned lots, you know, playing in abandoned buildings, playing in, in buildings that were dilapidated, that were definitely nowhere for a child to be. But yet we took these places and we made them into our home. We made them into our communities and our neighborhoods. And even though there weren't The types of things that would um, allow you to have proper escapes. You know, we took those lemons that life gave us and made lemonade. That's interesting because you have no other choice, right? Or do you? See, that's the thing. You know, it's not until you know something different. It's not until you're presented with a different option that you see um, perhaps how life should be lived. You just think this is life. And so there is no I- idea of choice or any of that, you know, reality. It's not until you get older and you really look back and you say to yourself, wow, you know, the types of things that parents want for their children, the types of experience that, that, that they want to give them, the, um, the type of education that they want to give them, you know, and then you look back at your own upbringing and realize that there was not, it, it wasn't just oppression. It wasn't just poverty but there's a there was a concerted effort that is still being perpetuated against the black and brown communities against the most marginalized of us and so when you look at that that's when you realize the total uh devastating reality that we we came out of that rose that grew out of the concrete
0: i think that everything you know happens for a reason and when you at 15 years old are put in such a horrific situation um You can either, as you mentioned earlier, uh, take the lemons and make lemonade, but you more you have done more than that. At 15 years old, when you're in the throes of what felt like an entire nation attacking you all, could you see the other
1: side? To be honest with you, no. For me, it was the introduction to what Dr. Malcolm X would call the American Nightmare. You know, you go into the system and you at some point say to yourself, well, this is part of the process. You know that you're innocent. You know that um, the system proverbially sees you as innocent until proven guilty, but you, yet, you haven't yet really woken up to the nightmare that called America This duality of the criminal justice systems that we live in, one where it's the criminal justice system and the other where it's the criminal system of injustice. One where um, you can be arrested for shooting up a church Mm -hmm. and the other where you can be sitting in your car and get shot down. You could be um, walking across the street and get shot down. You could be in a park and 12 years old and get shot down. I mean, there's so many examples that we have um, from historical events up until now. Things are still going on. Things are happening right now that has yet to be broadcast through social media. You know. And it's those experiences, I think, that really give you an opportunity to see through a different lens what America really is about. And going through that was so overwhelmingly shocking that it causes it causes you as a person living it to say to yourself this is what dr james baldwin meant when he said to be relatively conscious and be in america is, a, is to be in a state of rage at all times mm-hmm. but i'm being introduced to that truth as a 15 year old my comrades are being introduced to that truth as 14 And then, of course, Corey Wise, 16 years years old, the eldest of us, is being introduced to that truth. And so to see the other side is is to have the ability to look into the future in a way that many of us had not yet um, gotten that skill. I think it was because of the... um, the ability to rise to the occasion, the ability to say to self, I have to do the time and not let time do me. I am one of the political prisoners of American politics. And now I have to figure out how to create my freedom, even though I'm in bondage. And so it's through that process that you begin to see on the underside and begin to see into the future and then begin to plot um, your path forward. You
0: spent six years, obviously, in jail for a crime that you did not commit. When did you, as you just described, know that you had to do the time and not let the time do you? I couldn't imagine having the wherewithal at 15 years old to know what that looks like or how to even begin to think that way.
1: Well, see, my mother really was the catalyst, I would say, <clears throat> for the foundation of what it was that I was to begin to plant my flag in. And so early on, when you see the film, when they see us, there's an opportunity for the the public to really get a glimpse into my life when they see my mother coming into the interrogation room and stopping the interrogation and getting me out of there. What they didn't see was what she told me. She had a moment with me. Because as you can see, the very next scene, I'm still back in prison. I'm still about to be... um, um, I'm still going... I'm I'm going through the process of this criminal system of injustice. In that moment, she said to me, stop talking to them. You see, she was my my modern Harriet Tubman. She was the one, as they say, of Harriet... She would have freed so many more had they known the truth about the conditions that they were under. And see, they always say, well, she would have freed more slaves had they known they were slaves, had they only known they were slaves. But the truth is that these were Africans turned into chattel slaves, you know. And so my mother at that moment, she became a modern day Harriet Tubman giving me my last instructions as her free son not yet convicted. She said, stop talking to them. And then she said, they need you to participate in whatever it is that they're trying to do. Do not participate, refuse. And so in that moment, there was the understanding because see, my mother had been telling me about how she grew up. She'd been telling me about her being you know, uh, born in the Jim Crow South. And so my experience, my teaching, my 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 conversation, my 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 listening, the stories that we heard were so different. There were, but, but part of it was part of the black experience, but it was so different in that I was able to take this and almost utilize it immediately in order for them to win. They need me to participate So I have to be a part of the process that causes me to turn into what it was that they are trying to turn me into. And so in that moment, you have a choice. You can say, I'm going to refuse. This is going to happen. But it's not about what happens to you, but it's about what happens inside of you that makes the difference. And so, yes, the spike wheels of justice mow you down. Yes, you have indelible scars. Yes, you can. You have these, these labels that are placed upon you that you can never erase, even to this day. But it's what you do with it that makes all of the difference. And so at that moment, at 15, I was beginning to step out on my own with the knowledge and information my mother gave me and then it wasn't until i started until i got convicted with the first set of the of the then known central park 5 where we began to do the time and see if you let time do you you become an accident of time you become a monster you become embittered mm-hmm. you don't become better by the experience you don't go into the experience realizing that as they say no soul is burdened with more than they can bear. Of course. Now, when you realize that, though, then you know. Then you know you've been chosen for this. Anything that anyone is going through, they can handle it. And it's a a bit of a harsh pill to swallow to say it that way. But when you go through it, when you finally go through it and you look back, Mm -hmm. you say, my God, look at the path. All this time I was asking for God's help. And then you become the, you become that, that, that poem, the footprints in the sand, God Mm -hmm. carrying you. And it's that, it's it's, it's the whole time. And it's that ability for you to have that much faith that you go through it with a smile and rather going through it, you actually grow through it.
0: If you can look back on What I thought was, I mean, anybody who watched that film um, on Netflix when they see us could probably, it just made, especially Black folks, but it just made you so angry because there was an innocence robbed uh, and it seemed so unfair. And while we know that happens every single day, how do you not take all of the justified rage and anger that was pointed towards you and not use it to feel you and make you move on. How do you come out on the other side with grace?
1: That's the thing that you, you, you actually do allow it to feel you. You see, um, Nosa Mandela said that he had to leave anger and bitterness in the prison because mm-hmm. if he took it out, it would have destroyed him. And we've known, we've all, we've all known Nelson Mandela to be attributed to have said to be angry and bitter is like drinking poison and expecting your enemies to die. But then think about the words of Dr. Maya Angelou. She said, she, you know, cause when you think about anything that, that is a catalyst for you to, for you to move forward, for you to change your conditions, right? And in my faith, it says God will not change the conditions of you until you first change the conditions. Mm -hmm. And so as you begin to walk forward, God begins to run towards you. There's a formula in that, right? And so in the words of Dr. Maya Angelou, she says, you should be angry, but you must not be bitter. Mm -hmm. She said, bitterness is like a cancer. It eats upon the host. It doesn't do anything to the object of its displeasure. And then she teaches us all how we become alchemists. How do we take this justifiable anger and rage and turn it into something that bends reality, that allows us to move through life with a whistle and a a skip in your step? Mm -hmm. She tells you, she says, use that anger. She says, you dance it. You march it. You vote it. She said, you do everything about it. And then she said, you talk it. Never stop talking it. You see, me, me and my brothers, we get the opportunity to share our story internationally, where we get in front of stages and we get in front of people and we get to talk and we get to inspire and we get to be able to be re-embraced by society. The whole world is telling us psychosocially that we matter and that we are needed and that we are necessary. And because of that, it gives us the opportunity to heal all over again. Mm. But then it gives us also the opportunity to realize that it could just be a word. It could just be a word that someone needs, someone wants, someone um, is looking for, that's going to give them the opportunity to move one more step in their life Oh my goodness, I just saw Yusuf Salaam. Oh my goodness, I just saw Corey Wise. I just saw Antron. I just saw Raymond. I just saw Kevin. The type, of, the type of power that people get from experiencing us. We haven't really yet truly understood what we represent in society. I mean, we, we, we know to a degree, but the fullness of it. I'm just humble and appreciative because I can see.
0: Then known as the Central Park Five, now known as the exonerated five, those words are powerful, I believe. Um, And it also, as you just said a moment ago, you have been reintroduced into society in a way in which you are fully appreciated. But if you look at the state of America right now, um, coming out of a tough election, just talked about what you saw this summer of what many are saying is a, a summer of, of racial reckoning. How do, you, how do you view what has happened in terms of your life and your experiences and what you've been able to share?
1: I think the, the way to view it is to realize that as life move, fo- moves forward, you get the opportunity to have moments of clarity. And one of those moments of clarity is to realize that even the year is magic. Mm. This year is 2020. Mm -hmm. When you go to the doctor and you get your eyes examined, we all know what 2020 vision is. Mm -hmm. And so imagine now looking at this year through the lens of of perfect vision. Wow. The racial divide. The duality call America, the divided States of America, the person at the helm of the ship. And I'm not even going to connect him to our story yet, because see, that'll be too easy, right? But when you look at it all, there's this beauty. There's this realization. there's this understanding that what was important yesterday, just before COVID-19 became our, our total reality, is more. What, it, what was important yesterday is not as important today. Yeah. What's important today, you wasn't even thinking about in the depths of what you're seeing and understanding. We've all been placed on timeout, the whole world. Mm-hmm. And we've all had to look up at the sky. We've all had to reckon with the fact that we are being, um, we are fighting two pandemics one of global proportions and the other in America called oppression. The other in America called, um, new, the new Jim Crow, the other, the idea that we are trying to escape the reality that Dr. James Baldwin said when he said to be African American is to be African without memory and to be American without privilege. We are realizing all of that. We are experiencing all of that. That truth is, is, is being presented in our faces. And we have the awesome opportunity to figure out what to do with it individually and collectively. Because see, see, by the fact that we've been born with the color of our skin, those of us when we are awakened to the American nightmare realize that we have been fighting on the side of right all along and to and to realize that there's beauty Mm. there's grace the creator makes no mistakes the creator makes no mistakes
0: i'm listening to you talk about it in such a positive way and where i find myself um because you know for lack of a better term and using what you said i am awake there are so many of us who are awake and we're like oh okay this is this is what it is um, and I, I say 2020 is the year that forces us to be better. I am, I'm with you. This year is here for a reason. But how do you and you and you and I want this, in your words, for what you did. How did you and you said it, but I, I need I need some steps. I need some tangible tools. How did you not become bitter and decide, let me become a fighter? for social justice and people who are incarcerated and for people who who have been wronged by the justice system. Let me, yes, I'm angry, but let me not be bitter. How? What were the steps to that?
1: The first thing that you have to reckon with is realizing that you have to remember. You have to remember in a way that you have never remembered before. You have to inside your own self have a Sankofa moment where you go back and get something that allows you to move forward in your present powerfully. You see, when you remember the birds and the bees story, it becomes so profoundly of a miracle. You mean to tell me that when my mother and my father got together, I was one of over 400 million options and I'm, and I made it, Mm. there's a miracle in that. Now, what do you do? What do you do when you realize that God told you to be out of all the others be and therefore you are, what do you do? That type of truth, that type of reality, That realization changes your vibrations. It causes you to vibrate at a higher level. You've been winning from the beginning. Now you have to remember that. Now you have to say to yourself, well, if I was born on purpose, Mm -hmm. there has to be a purpose for me, for my existence. And so Yusuf going through what he had to grow through is for him to get something that he can give now then to the people in the world through his experience. How can he share his life? How can, how can I give you what it is that I went through, what it is that you're going through to realize that we're all growing through something. Mm. Right. And then when you find that purpose, when you find that purpose, like Dr. King said, do it as if God himself called you to do it at this very moment. And instead of giving us a grand idea of what purpose could be, Dr. King said, if your purpose in life is to be a street sweeper, sweep the streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Beethoven composed music, like Leotone Price sang before the opera. Now imagine living life on a vibration level that like that yes we have obstacles yes we have this we have all kinds of things but if you look at the obstacle and you say to yourself damn i gotta climb this this mountain (laughs) it never ends but if you say to yourself oh so you mean to tell me i had to be introduced to the devil I had to be introduced to Donald Trump. I had to be confronted with a certain level of fear in order to break through the fear of understanding that fear is false evidence appearing real. So that 31 years later, when he is the president of the United States, when he has had us in the proverbial crosshairs all these years, That we move through life, not hiding in plain sight, but we move through life with a certain boldness and urgency. We give life to others as they see us tackling life and moving and operating and saying, these lemons, check this out, I'm going to juggle them and make it look easy. It's not that it's easy. It's that you remembered that you were born on purpose and with a purpose that you were one of over 400 million options and you made it. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. There's a difference in remembering that every single day of your life. Right. And so in prison, I had the opportunity to write poetry because I wanted to be a hip hop artist and I couldn't. And so in my cell, I would, I would be in concerts spitting my flow. And then when I didn't feel like it, I could pick up my words and read them and they would speak life back into me. I could read the revolution will not be televised and know that I am the revolution. Mm. I could read, I'll meet you in between Venus and Mars where I talk about becoming one of the stars and I'm in prison, not even known yet. And then I all of a sudden somehow in the future become a star become of the celebrity class and I'm meeting you back on earth in between Venus and Mars. I could reread those words and it would give me life when I needed it. It would allow me to say, it's going to be all right. This too shall be. Dr. Yusuf, you- Dr. What, is, what is your purpose? My purpose, I think, is to show people how to live with grace, with humility, how to take the gifts that God gave us whether we think they're gifts or not, and make something out of it. Because that's that's part of the trueness of living. You know, my good friend Les Brown, he says, everybody dies, but not everybody lives. There's so many people who have already checked out, but they're just waiting to die. What kind of life is that? We got to take life by its horns. We got to be able to say to ourselves, hold on. Just like he said to me once, he said, you know, Yusuf, the most wealthiest place in the world is not in Africa where there's gold and diamonds or in Saudi Arabia where there's oil. He said, it's in the graveyard. Imagine being on your deathbed and instead of your family being there to pray for you as you transition over. But the ghost of your of your dreams and your hopes and your aspirations looking at you with those big eyes, big, angry eyes, knowing that you were the only one that could give it life. And now it is going to die with you. He talked about his friend and he said, man, did he ever write that book before he passed away? And he said, no, man, Thus said, man, he took that with him. Now, imagine all of our friends, imagine all of the gifts that we see in other people that they have yet to realize in themselves. But imagine the gifts that people have realized. That they are beginning to say to ourselves, hold on, I can't get a job. I don't need to get a job because if a job is just over broke. Then I need to create. I need to create what God gave me and give it to the world. That that, that gift is part of your moneymaker. That's part of the secrets of life. And it's sometimes, it's because of those of us who have been put through something that we are now those who can see. And we are now those who are saying to ourselves, oh, wow. There's so much abundance out here. There's so much grace. There's so much of everything. How? How do you attain it? How do you touch it? And, and, and the most interesting thing I've ever read as a part of faith was that God said something about, but when they were put through what they were put through, why didn't they just not humble themselves? Mm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a, you know, there's people as they say, who have ears, but can't hear, who have eyes, but can't see. see. This is where we are in the world today. That's
0: exactly what is happening in the world today. Like, I I don't want to digress from your story, but that is exactly why we sit in a situation where we are divided and we can't quite understand why people don't see what we see, but they'll never be able to understand what we see. Uh, It is clear that you all were set apart. Um, and chosen. And, and it had to happen to you so that you could give this message and you could do the work. What do you find people ask you the most when it comes to the exonerated five and your experience as a teenager? What do, what's one of the most common asked
1: questions The most common to ask question is, how did you get through it? Well, but doesn't that make sense? It does. But you have to. There's, you know, you get through it because there's no other way. Are you going to?
0: There's no choice. uh, Yeah. Are you going to
1: just lay down and let let the system have its way with you? See, the beauty of this is this, right? Going to prison for a crime that you didn't commit. Is is is. Going to prison honorably. Mm. Now, that's not what happens in the beginning because you go in there and you go in there with the label of rapist. The only crime that trumps rape is child molestation. But then you begin to move and you operate, and then you begin to have the experience of the officers and the experience of the inmates experience you. And so I would come back to my cell at times and I would find chopper can of orange juice and intimates cookies. And I would say, is this a mirage? And then I would hear my mother's voice saying she was raised in the Jim Crow South. And I would say they're trying to kill me with the food because <laughs> I happen to like travel kind of orange juice and intimates cookies. You see? But then when I found out who was putting it there and why, it was a, it was like, it was beauty in that, right? One of the elder officers named Eleanor Faulkner, she said, Yousef, I know you're not supposed to be here. Mm. You're not guilty, but I can't take my key and let you go. So every time I come here, I bring you something that's going to make your time a little easier, a little sweeter. This is what she did. Officers walking up to me six months into my prison bid, Jerome Jones, asking me, who are you? Which changed the total trajectory of my life. And when I found the answer, It blew my mind because it wasn't just about me saying I'm Yusuf Salaam, one of the guys that they accused of raping the Central Park jogger, but I didn't do it. It was about who is Yusuf Salaam? Who is this this gift that was born, that was given a name, that name had meaning, and now the meaning is what you have to find. And so finding that meaning in prison for the first time that my parents named me God will increase the teacher with justice and peace. It floored me because it knew that I knew that there was a weighty and a mighty thing that I had to do. And then I am still doing, you know, but it was those things that gives you the ability to move one foot in front of the other. It's those things that gives you the ability to begin to speak, to begin to be able to see with a spiritual eye. Intend to always see with that eye.
0: You said something and I don't want to gloss over it. Donald Trump. Then versus Donald Trump now.
1: Could you have foreseen that? Absolutely not. But Donald Trump then is. I don't want to say versus. I want to say he is the Donald Trump that we know now. You see, he has never been. He's never shown us anything different. We just didn't see it. So in the black and brown community, he was celebrated. I want to be rich like Donald Trump and Marla Maple and all of this other stuff. And then you realize, hold on, who's benefiting? So, yes, he can rub elbows with our excellent. With our celebrity. Right. But what about the regular folk? Who are being run over by the politics? Because, see, in the political world, we know it's politics. In the political world, we know that they they're talking about things that they're just playing a game on a board of life. Mm -hmm. But in the black and the brown communities. Our lives is the ones that, that are at stake. Our lives are the ones that are being trampled upon. Our lives are the ones that are being snuffed out. For us, it's not a game. The separation of church and state has never been real and true because in the true reality of things that separation allows the people who operate on a certain level of wickedness to say oh it's just a job Mm -hmm. it's just a game Mm -hmm. this part ain't real it's all real it all matters but because they've separated it They've allowed it to just be the political realm when the political realm, when it spills over into our community, there's bodies laying out in the streets.
0: By way of background for the for the listener, uh, Donald Trump put out these ads. I'm pretty sure if you're listening, you know, this uh, demanding that the death penalty be um, enforced for the central the then
1: Central Park Five. And so. And it wasn't just that he put out the ads one of the things that has to be understood up front is that he created, Mm -hmm. he created this.
0: Bring back the death penalty. Right, and
1: and, and, and in the creation of this ad, there is beauty, if you can imagine. I can't. The beauty is that someone said to themselves, I need to create something that is captivating and attention grabbing just like that. So therefore, as a graphic designer, as an artist myself, I can recognize that is a captivating piece of advertisement.
0: Bring back the death penalty. Bring back the police is captivating.
1: The language, the layout, the, the, the boldness of the words. It causes anybody to, who's looking at that to zero in and say, what is that? And then they are pulled into reading the technology, the seed that is being planted in your mind, the seed that is saying, yeah, those guys should be put to death. And guess what? This ad was ran two weeks after we were accused. It wasn't ran two weeks after we went to trial. This week, we were accused April 19th, 1989. The ad was ran May 1st, 1989. That means that someone thought about, someone crafted, someone produced, and then someone paid for. And then it was placed in the papers two weeks after. How long? How quick? Mm. What kind of technology is being used here? And it's not just this ad I'm talking about. I'm talking about things that causes things to be seeds in people's minds, because you can't unsee a, bold, a big, bold headline that says something like DNA evidence in the case. You can't unsee that. But when the DNA comes back and it doesn't match, mm. now as pseudo experts who watch CSI, NCIS, and all of those other TV shows, we understand that dioxyribonucleic acid is not just something that's flimsy, <laughs> right? You see what I'm saying? To use that wording, even the wording, if you say mm. DNA, it's like, oh, DNA. But if you say dioxyribonucleic acid, holy shucks, what's that? That, <laughs> yeah. is, that is what <laughs> proves whether a person has been to a crime scene or not. Yes. And so in the absence of that, how do you move forward legally? In the absence mm. of that, how do you create an ad that tells people that you want to put people to death because of mm. an accusation? Mm. You see what I'm saying? So there's 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 something else going on here.
0: He created and he with others created the media, um, a campaign that I would have think I would think now would be insurmountable, meaning. Even though you all were exonerated, if I saw someone, quote unquote, powerful like him taking out ads, bring back the death penalty, bring back our police all of the headlines that suggested you all but did it i think it would be i mean next to impossible to overturn a wrongful conviction with that being said that happened for you guys and i still think in today's state in today's age i don't see it happening
1: i will tell you this the- this is part of the secret man plans and man plans for evil. But man plans and God plans and God is the best of planners.
0: <laughs> He's the best man plans and God plans. All right. All right. So I'm talking about man plans. God plans are better. Go ahead and make it right. Make it plain. You saying what man tried to destroy, God set apart. I got it.
1: And that's what I'm saying. Like When you, when you realize that they forgot about God, I'm gonna tell you this, right? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say I'm, I've 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 taken the Central Park Jogger story, and I've looked underneath, and this is what I've come up with: that the Central Park Jogger case is actually a love story between God and His people. It's a story of a criminal system of injustice turned on its side and placed on trial in order to produce a miracle in modern time. It's a story of how a people can be brought low only to rise because the truth can never stay buried. It's the story of a people buried alive and forgotten. The system forgot we were seeds. And so as they built the fire to consume us, they forgot the owner of the heat. This is the story of black people. It's the story of black people, but there's beauty and there's grace and there's miracles happening all the time. But but see, the the true miracle often cannot be seen. When it happens, you don't see it. You got to look back and say to yourself, holy shucks, how did they Mm -hmm. get through that? How did they go through this kind of injustice? I mean, think about this for a second. When they see us it's such a beautiful retelling of our story. But when you see it, you don't really see it. And when you when I tell you it, you're never going to not be able to see it. You see Corey Wise was not supposed to be there. Corey Wise was asked, "Do you want to come downtown with your buddy? You'll be right back." <laughs> So in, in, in the grand scheme of things, Corey wasn't a suspect. He wasn't supposed to be there. He gets, he gets pushed into a space that causes him to become one of the key people in this case. And as a 16-year-old, he doesn't go to juvenile facilities like the rest of us after being convicted. He's in Rikers Island and goes to Attica. As a 16-year-old, as a 17-year-old, he goes to Attica. And as you watch when they see us, there's a moment in there where Corey is in his cell. He's lost, he's lost every single time when he's gone before the parole board because they have only one question that they ask all of us. And that question was, did you do it? And we all said no. And they, and they told us, have a good day. And we got another two years. And those of us who had conditional release dates, we, we CR'd out. Corey had five to 15 years. And so when they came to get him at one of his parole hearings, he said, I'm not going. And they said, you're not going. He said, no. He said, if they don't want to hear my truth, I don't want to waste my time. They gave him another two years. Now, you cannot never unsee this part. He then is told by a friend of his in the prison, why don't you put in for a transfer to get closer to your family, to get closer to home? He puts the transfer in and he issues a prayer. I done used all my bad luck up. It can't get no worse than this. Not only does he not go closer to home, he goes farther than he's ever gone. I'm talking about literally and figuratively. And in that, in, that, in that journey, he bumps into Matias Reyes. If Corey became, unfortunately, a modern-day Caliph Browder, this story would not be the story of the Exonerated Five. If Corey, unfortunately could not hold on and lied so that he could just come home. This story would not be the story of the exonerated five, but because Corey had the certain ingredient in ingredients inside of his own self that allowed him to go through hell and to keep on walking. He then went in, in the beginning to have my back. Mm-hmm. And he ends up freeing all of us. You can never unsee that. You can never unexperience that. He bumps into Matias Reyes, who says he'd been going to church. And then he looked up and he saw Corey and said, oh, my goodness. I know what I got to do. And he tells the truth. He tells the truth. They check his DNA. They had his DNA. Our families were out there from from the time that this case started all the way through saying you got the wrong people, but guess what they said? They said, we got who we want because it was a more sexy story to be five brutes going after a white woman to, to, to rape and to murder her. That was the sexiness of this story. But the truth of the story was glossed over. They knew what happened. Because they have this thing called forensic evidence that recreates crime scenes. They knew what happened because they had the DNA evidence that didn't match any of the so-called suspects. And now here, 13 years later, imagine that the most unlucky number in America.
0: (laughs) Man's plans versus God's plan.
1: God is telling you something.
0: Whoa. That's So first of all, this has been a word. I'm sitting here like this is a word and I don't even know I'm getting the education. Like, wow, 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 wow. Dr. Youssef. You've made it so plain, I feel that for so many people who are marginalized, that they do have a purpose and it's up to them to discover their purpose. And in the process of doing that, do it well um, or do it to the best of your ability, because there's always a plan you have become a new york times bestseller um you are a a a beautiful speaker Uh, you have such a a powerful message to share it's electric as my producer just said a moment ago um can you talk to me about your latest book punching the air
1: oh punching the air is the water for the seeds of greatness inside of every one of us. Punching the air, I just want to read something to you. This is one of the most powerful passages. I love reading this passage. I mean, it's so many powerful passages in here. But this is what gives you some information about how people are, you know, D.L. Hughley said the Worst place for a black person to be is in the imagination of a white person. Mm -hmm. And so this is called Clone. It's on the 56th page. Ever since that day in the fifth grade, my teachers watched me so hard, so close, that I felt like I was trying to break out of prison, even though it was just school. Every dumb thing I did, they thought it was because of. Trouble at home, an absent father, a tired mother, not enough books not enough vegetables, not enough sleep. Mm. Mm. They believed those lies about me and made themselves a whole other boy in their minds and replaced me with him. Punching the air is a conversation that shows up right on time in this divided states of America that we are experiencing. It gives young people the awesome opportunity to think about life in a different way. It gives perhaps people who might not realize that they have racist tendencies the opportunity to hold up a mirror Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. see themselves in the caricatures in the book. It gives people the understanding that Amal, just like Yusuf, has a meaning, and Amal means hope. And so Amal had to become his own savior in his own quest to be the hope of his own future. It is a beautiful, brilliant, powerful offering. Hmm that I often call water for the seeds of greatness inside of every one of us. That's punching the air.
0: If you guys want to water those seeds of greatness, go out and get that book because I'm ready to do it right now. Instant New York Times bestseller. I want to water my seeds because I'm great. (laughs) I need to feed. Uh, Dr. Yusuf Salam, uh, I wish I could talk to you for two more hours, which I'll try to do eventually on a different type of show. <laughs> um, thank you so much. Punching the air, available anywhere. Came out September 1st, folks. Go get it. What an education and what a um for me personally, um, this really put me on the path of trying to get rid of some of the bitterness that I have. Because I'm currently bitter with the world, uh, for obvious reasons. But I appreciate you for sharing your story and being very vulnerable for us to hear it because if you're not better, how the hell I'm gonna be better? How the hell I'm gonna be better.
1: Don't be, be better. better, get better. You gotta get better.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Yusuf Salaam. Thank you for being on the brown print. My pleasure. Wow. Just wow. Listening to Dr. Yusuf Salam and how gracious he is, how kind he is, how introspective he is about what happened to him at the age of 15. Anybody could have taken that heinous crime, wrongfully convicted, six years in prison and thought, forget it. I don't care. My life's over. I'm bitter. I'm mad. He essentially says that his life was set aside. He was sent to jail for a reason. His life has a purpose. And if you can find the good after such a horrific story, if you can find the good after what... Was seemingly abuse of the justice system. If you can find any good in the world after all of that, then you have to realize your life does have a purpose. As I said to him, it's hard not to be bitter after a summer of racial reckoning. It's hard not to be bitter after a very divided election. It's hard not to be bitter when we see what's happening in the world today. But his advice was so clear and so plain and so simple. Don't be bitter, be better. Your life has a purpose. And once you find that purpose, make sure you do it well. And so with that being said, I feel like everyone can find some sort of purpose. There's a reason why you are alive and living. As we're doing this interview, Dr. Yusuf grabs this framed headline, um, the headline that I, I believe really truly started this national outrage towards the then Central Park Five. The headline read, bring back the death penalty. Bring back our police. He has that framed in his office as a reminder, not as a reminder to be angry, but a reminder to exemplify humility, strength, grace, courage. That's his message he took something that many would see as a detriment, as a life-changing moment for the worse. And he's using it to inspire others. And I am truly, truly blown away at his character. I'm sitting here telling you this because as I'm thinking about what happened to those young boys, there was so much pain associated with it. So much vitriol, so much hatred. People wanted them dead for a crime they didn't commit. Bring back the death penalty. Bring back our police. His way of remembering what he likes to call a love story. If you look at Dr. Yusuf Salam and the others in the Central Park Five case, they all have gone on to make sense of something that was so horrific. And they're not bitter. I have to focus on that. I hope you do too. This was a very powerful episode of the brown print we really appreciate you listening that's it for this week's episode of the brown print let's keep the conversation going online you know i love to go online follow us on instagram at the brown print podcast and on twitter at brown print pod follow me carrie champion on ig and twitter you can find me at carrie champion don't at me if you got attitude well okay We'd love to hear your feedback or if there's a specific topic you want us to tackle or guests that you want us to have on, please reach out to the brownprintpod at gmail.com. Again, at brownprintpod at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. It helps spread the word. It is so important that we stay active and vocal. We'd greatly appreciate it if you showed us some love by leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. If you do not, I know you are a hater. (laughs) Haha, <laughs> kidding. Kind of. Not really. Meanwhile, uh, again, five star rating and positive review. We need it. It really helps the podcast grow. The Brown Print is a gallery media group original production.